This morning is our last week in Ephesians part one. Um, it's our eighth week that we've been talking about being in Christ and what it means to be in Christ. And so part two of Ephesians begins on the 1st of August. So we've got a little bit of a break and we're going to be talking about the church has a future and it's linked back into in Christ because only in Christ does the church have a future and we'll be looking at that in about, I think it's also an eight-week series that we'll be doing. But for the rest of July, I've got something really exciting to share with you. We've we've historically focused on July as our mission month. We have a team normally going to Zimbabwe, another one working in Clutusville. And so we take the month of July to focus and remind ourselves on God's call to the nations, on missions, on the fact that He's called you to walk across the room to somebody else or for you to walk across your workplace or your campus or it might even be that He's called you to go to another part of the world, to the ends of the earth. This is the commission that is on God's heart for us. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to have three different people speaking into this. The first is Francois. Francois and Raleen are in Indonesia. They work among unreached people groups, specifically discipling people to go into those groups and to disciple people in those groups. Um, Francois is going to be sharing with us next weekend. Their story is awesome. There will be lots of testimonies. I guarantee it. It will be unbelievable, as he likes to say. The week after that, we have Lex, who is one of our fathers. He builds so much into our congregation. Um, Lex is going to be talking about the movement of the Holy Spirit through the ages. And just look at how God has been on mission and remains on mission for century after century through the power of the Spirit. And it's not just our world and our lives and our individual faith that counts, but God calling a a people for Himself. God's always been calling a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And then the third week, the last week of July... Stefan Kern, Stefan and Sharon and their family have joined us. I met them a few years ago. They come from friends of ours in Zimbabwe. They've been missionaries in Mozambique for 14 years. And they're going to be sharing some of the experiences and just some, something of what's on their heart around God and missions. And so it's just a really, really exciting opportunity for us to come and be reminded of God on mission. Some awesome stuff to look forward to. But I want to get into Ephesians again this morning, so open with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and we've been focused over the last few weeks in particular on the, the prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians, and his prayer is very simple. He's praying, God, open their eyes, open the eyes of their hearts that they can see more fully, and then we've been focusing specifically on this part where he says that, that you may know, not just Think about it, but you know in your heart, this deep knowing, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. What is this power of God? Verse 18, and Paul uses different examples. We've been talking about them, how God raised Jesus from the dead and that Jesus was really dead. And in that moment, Paul's saying, God is saying, look at my power. And then last week, we, we, we went in depth at God's grace which is undeserved help to us in our time of need. And as Jesus is saved, so God looks at mankind and says, just as we are saving Jesus, just as Jesus is being raised from the dead, we're going to raise them from the dead. And so dead man walking is what we spoke about last week and how we're made alive by God's grace. And in His resurrection power, from that moment until today, He has been pouring this power into the hearts 
of men and women and suddenly dead men and dead women even though they look alive and they look full of life and their bodies are muscular and their personality is vivacious yet they dead 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 and suddenly through the power of God their hearts begin to beat again doop, 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 doop. and dead men begin to walk alive again and not just alive, but seated with Jesus in heavenly places, receiving all spiritual blessings as Ephesians 1 so powerfully speaks about. And so that's where we ended last week, speaking about the gospel, the good news, that, that not just, it doesn't just tell us what man is by nature, but also it tells us what man can become through grace. Otherwise, it would be terrible news, right? If all the Bible did would be to tell us how we were dead in our sins and our transgressions and far from God. It would be terrible, pessimistic, despair-inducing news if we didn't know that we could be changed by grace. Right, so those are the, those are the two things that we've looked at so far that demonstrate the power of God, the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of dead men and women and this morning we're going to look at the power of God in overcoming hatred overcoming hatred between different sections of the human race and so let me let me begin again with a, with a question and remind us and ask us what is God's great plan for the universe what is it that God is doing we spoke a few weeks ago about a plan that is so vast and so immense and so amazing and so incredible that it requires a mighty power that's why Paul's speaking about the mighty power he's demonstrating to us God can fulfill this plan God can actually do this do this plan and what is the plan well it's so simple it's chapter 1 verse 10 he tells us as a plan for the fullness of time, in other words, we're only walking in a part of it now. This is going to be complete at the end of time, the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, Jesus. To unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So if someone says to you, what is God's great plan? This is, this is the little summary verse. You can literally say to them, God's plan is that in Jesus Christ, all things which right now are, are ununited or disunited, I don't know what the right word is, the things that are broken, looking at creation, all of those things, they will be united and brought back together again in God. That's his great plan. And so God starts that plan and we've been talking about this. The first thing that needs to be reconciled is God to man. That's the first thing that needs to be unified. That's why Paul's been saying you were dead. In the, you were following Satan. You were living in the passions of this world. You were trying to reunite yourself to God through your religious effort and your works. And then he says, but God has made you alive, saved you through grace. All these beautiful phrases, kindness. Oh man, every, this is, this is incredible. Every man, think about this. Every man or woman who comes to Jesus. Today, there's going to be people who come to Jesus around the world. Everyone who comes to faith is another living example. Proof, proof that God's master plan in action of uniting all things in Jesus, it's working. It's working. Everyone who comes to faith is declaring, in a sense, I have been reunited with God and all things are being reunited in heaven and and earth. But there's, there's more to this plan. God doesn't want to just reconcile us to Himself. 
It says in, in chapter 1 verse 10, the, the verse we just read, that he wants to unite all things in Christ. All things. And so our first great break is from God and we need that unity. But our second great break is to one another. And this is where God needs to come and unify us again. So let's read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11 onwards. Therefore, remember, uh, and stop for a second here, when he says this, therefore, we need, to re- we need to remind ourselves who he's talking to. He's writing to the Gentiles. That means people who aren't Jewish. And they're in, they're in Ephesians. They're in, in Ephesus is the city. And he's writing this letter to them. So this is who he's addressing when he says you. Right? Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. We'll get to some of this confusing language just now. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. This is what we've been talking about. We need to be united back to God. But also, you are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So you were not able to be part of God or God's people. But, verse 13, now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So this tells you that he's not now talking just about God. He's talking about the two of us. Two different peoples, the Gentiles and the Jews, being made one as God breaks down this dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And... He came and preached to you who were far off, that's the Gentiles, and he came and preached peace to those who were near, that's the Jews, those who were close already to God. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Remember he starts off this passage by saying this is who you are. You're aliens, you're strangers, you were far away, but Christ came near. Now he's saying, this is who you are now. This is what you are now. Now now you're no longer strangers. Now you're citizens and saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I just want you to notice right there at the end how this section starts off with this this division, this hostility, this, this complete separation, this alienation, this strangers between the Jews and the Gentiles. And it finishes off with this incredible picture of these two races being built together. It says, joined together built together into a dwelling place by God through his spirit and when we look at them you'll see why so desperately needed the spirit right let's pray together father thank you for your word 
thank you that as we come to it, you speak to the Ephesians, but you speak to us, Lord. There's so much going on here that we need to apply into our own lives. Father, would you open our hearts? Would we subdue our pride this morning and, and put it aside and our, our desire not to be to, to, to be challenged or not to hear your word? And I pray that your word would cut like a sword into our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. And so... I think it's quite obvious that the, the big idea of this text is that people are alienated and divided, the Jews and the Gentiles in, in specific, specifically here. Yeah. And this, this word alienated is actually a very unusual word in the New Testament. It's only used twice here and then once in Colossians. And so it's quite a, a specific word that, that Paul has used here to describe what's going on, the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles and, and John Stott, an author and a, and a preacher, he writes what we've been speaking about that one is alienated from God, our Creator, and the other problem is that we're alienated from one another, our fellow citizens. And he says this he says, Nothing is more dehumanizing than this breakdown of fundamental human relationships. It is then that we become strangers in a world in which we should feel at home and aliens. Instead of citizens. I wonder if anyone feels like that. Strangers in a world where we should belong. I think all of our hearts recognize that we were not made for here. As C.S. Lewis says. We were made for somewhere else. And our hearts recognize that somehow we're aliens in this world. But the Ephesian Gentiles had, had two problems that God needed to overcome. See, the first was that they were dead in their trespasses and sins. And we spoke about that last week. They were sinful people. We are sinful people. And so God first needs to reunite them there. That's the first problem. But then there's a huge second problem for these Gentiles. They're outside of the people of God. Therefore, God had to deal with not just their sinfulness. He also had to deal with their, their position that they're outside of God's people. And more than that, that they are despised by God's people, this chosen race, the Jews, hated the Gentiles. And so if we go back and we look at the biblical history, we'll see that God calls Abraham and he promises to bless the Jews. But right in the inception and then all the way through the Old Testament promises, God, the Old Testament verses, God or chapters, God is, is promising that all nations will be blessed through the Jews. But somehow... It seems like this last part got lost in translation and it got twisted and it got disbelieved to the point where the Jews were no longer accepting of any other race. They were the race and they could not accept that God would bring anybody else into this chosen nation. And so there was huge division and hostility. William Barclay, a, a historian and a writer, writes this. He says, the Jews had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. In other words, the Gentiles were hell's firewood, right? God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need. In other words, when she's giving birth, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Guys, I want you to feel the depth of the apartheid happening in this 
verse. I want you to feel the depth of the, the separation and the angst and the hostility and the racism between these two nations. He carries on and he says, Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with, the, with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. Remember what Paul is saying here. Remember that at one time, he says to these Gentiles, remember that you at that time separated, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers. This is the language he's using. Strangers to the covenants of Israel. You were, you were far off. But now you've been brought near. Now he's given you peace. Now he's brought these two races back together. Can you see why this is Paul demonstrating the power of God? You have to first see what's really going on contextually here and the, and the craziness of what's happening between these two races. It's talking about Afrikaners and Zulus and the hatred that's built up over years and years. And Paul is saying, look at the power of God to bring not just redemption, but to make them one. To take two of them and make them as if there's just one. He marries them. It's incredible. Just to break down this, in the flesh, this dividing wall of hostility. Guys, this was an actual wall in the temple. If you go and look at the temple when Paul is writing, it was all on, on one level for the Jews. So there was the, the holy part of the temple, then there was the priest's courts, then there was the Jewish men's courts, then there was the Jewish women's courts, and they were all on the same level. Then you went down five steps, then you went down another 14 steps, so you were 19 steps down, and that's where the Gentile court was. And the Gentile court went around the whole temple, but it had a one and a half meter high wall. And all over that wall were plastered warnings to the Gentiles that they could not cross that one and a half meter high wall. So they could walk around the entire temple looking up at it, longing for it, longing to be part of God's people. And yet they could not cross into it. They were not allowed to even approach it. Archaeologists have dug up in the last hundred years... Two signs from this temple, this very temple. And one I think is in Aramaic and the other is in Greek. And this is exactly what it says. No foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around this temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Right? You cross that wall, you are executed. Now, I'm going into detail here because I want us to get the extent to which these Gentile Ephesians would have felt, would have felt their exclusion from God and from God's chosen people. Friend, let me apply this into our hearts just for a moment. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you are watching this and you say, Paul, I know I am excluded from God. I know I am most certainly excluded from God's people. Maybe a church has even told you that. Have told you that you're not worthy. That you are not able to come into God's chosen people. Because you've done this. And you've done this. Or because you live like this. Or you believe this. And you feel like you are excluded. Just like these Ephesian Gentiles. Man, God's got good news for you. Verse 11 again. Therefore remember... That at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, 
Go down to verse 12. Remember that at, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise. And there's three movements in this text from verse 11 to 22. There's three movements and they actually mimic the ones that we looked at last week in chapter 2 verse 1 to 1 to 10. And he says, therefore remember. And what he's saying to them is this is who you were. This parallels to him saying, and you were dead in your transgressions and sins. When you followed the power of this world and you gave into all your fleshly patterns, you were dead. Ephesians, Gentiles, remember who you were. Paul was saying last week, he's saying the same thing to them this time. But now he's not talking about their separation from God. He's talking about their separation from the Jewish nation, from one another. Remember who you were. Then verse 13, he says, he says but now... Which mimics what? Last week, do you remember? But God, but God being rich in mercy has saved you, has filled you with faith. All these beautiful things. But he says now, but now in Christ. In other words, but this is what Jesus Christ has done. He's taken the two and he's taken that animosity and he's broken down that wall of hostility. Paul is, is prophesying in this moment that even though in that temple, when Paul was writing, a temple was still standing until AD 70 when it was destroyed. It was still standing. They could go there and they could see the wall of hostility between them, separating them. And yet Paul was saying, you see that wall? In the spiritual realm, Christ has already broken it down. Jew, Gentile, you already won before him. He's building you together into a temple. He's building his church on you together. This is the, the but now in Christ. And then the third movement is verse 19 where it says, so then. So then. Which means this is who you have become. So this is who you were. This is what Jesus has done. And this is what you have now become. Right? And so we've been looking at but now in, in Christ. Or we've been looking at, at verse 11. Therefore remember what it is that you were. Now I want you to do this on your own. So grab yourself a, a pen and a paper with your family. If you're sitting with your family. Or you can just on your own. Get your journal. Get a piece of paper. Get whatever. And take five minutes. And I want you to go from, from this verse 13 to 22. And I want you first to write down everything you can see. From verse 13 to 18. Write down everything that God has done. That Christ Jesus has done. What's been reversed? What's been changed? Between the Jew and the Gentile because of what Jesus has done. And then when you get to verse 19, ask the question, what have they now become? Because of what Jesus has done, what have they now become? And write all those phrases down. Go for it. Now the reason that I asked you to do that is sometimes when we go through the text ourselves and we're pulling out these things and we're looking at it and, and trying to understand it and trying to make sense of it, it just helps it drop from our head into our heart. It just helps us get it a little bit more. Now I just want to put a little disclaimer in here that this text is so rich and so full and I want to just tell you that we're actually going to circle back to the same text for the first two weeks of our next series in that we're going to start on the 1st of August, we're going to come and look at the same text because there's just so much application here, right? On division, divisions of race, social divides, social um, education divides, 
uh, class divides, wealth divides. And there's so much application also on how God builds himself a people. How God builds himself. But we're going we're gonna to come back to how God builds himself a church and how God breaks down these divisions. But this morning, I just want to focus on three practical areas that I want to apply into our lives. Guys, this book, we need to remember, was written to a specific group of living people. In Ephesus, in a city, in a town, in a certain year, it was written to them. But it still applies and is able to be applied deeply into our lives. And so I want to look at this and I want to ask how it speaks to us in 2021 in Stellenbosch or wherever you're watching from this morning. Well, I think there's just three things. The first application I want to make is just around how alienated we are from God and from one another. Now, last week I spent time just trying to explain how we alienated from God, that we did. So there's no stronger way to say it, that we're dead, that we're cut off, that we're far from God. But I think from one another, I mean, COVID has, has just given us such a, a fresh lens on our isolation. And we feel it acutely when we, we lock down or put into our homes and we can't see friends or we can't see loved ones. And Zoom just doesn't cut it, right? But I think society, more than COVID, I think this society is showing us that there's a, a much deeper problem going on. We, we're connected, but we're not connected. We're more connected than we've ever been. And yet the studies coming out from Christians and, and secular studies alike are showing us that, that there's more mental health issues than we've ever seen. There's people feeling more isolated, people feeling more desperate, more suicide than we've ever seen. You look at families and you look at the alienation and the breakdown of, of separation of what's going on in families and people living like they're strangers. Yes, you get the occasional family that's like a, a light on a dark horizon that's doing great. And if you part of one of those families, blessings to you. God's grace and kindness. And I'm so thankful for those families. But friends, the vast majority of families would describe themselves more in the terms of alienation and divorce and broken families. We look at communities and we look at the way that walls go up and the way that, that even just architecture has changed and how cities have changed to alienate ourselves from one another. And no longer can we say in the Western world, certainly, that we live in genuine community with one another. Now, I want to tell you that I believe from God's Word that this is a direct assault, a plan, a thought-through rebellion at the hands of the devil. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, there he goes, there he goes. He's been talking about this so much in the last few weeks, finding a demon behind this bush. Maybe you think I've fallen off the edge now, right? But let me, let me tell you why. Let me, let me start off by saying this, right? Can I ask you again? We started our preach here today. What is God's great plan for the universe? What is his great plan for the universe? It's to unify all things in Christ, things on heaven, things in heaven, and things on earth. Everything to be unified. Now, how, how is it that our world is moving in completely the opposite direction? Instead of our world being unified, we see more and more and more divisions. We see people less and less inclined to want to live in families, to want to be part of genuine community. We see even just in the natural world, the, the destruction of the world, the, the, the um, disappearing of the coral reefs, the removal of uh, so much timber and of our forests around the world, animals going extinct. And, and God is wanting to unite and restore and bring everything back into a beautiful world. And yet we see, we see it going in completely the opposite direction. 
Is this just a coincidence? Just a, just a coincidence? Friends, this is a carefully planned, strategized, thought through and executed rebellion by the hands of the devil. And I'll tell you how I know that because everything that God has ever desired to do, everything that God has ever declared, I will do that. I will do this. The devil stands in direct opposition and says, let's do the opposite. Let's do the opposite. And so God says, everything will be beautiful for mankind. I'm going to unite everything. It's going to be so incredible. I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And the devil says, let's disprove God. Let's destroy it. Let's make it worse and worse and worse. Let's global warm the heck out of this planet. Let's destroy everything we can. Let's make everything extinct. Let's let man's greed run rampant. Let him drill holes everywhere. Let him cut down trees everywhere. Let him, let him tourist the heck out of that place until it's all broken and messed up. The devil says the opposite is good. Whatever God says, this is good. The devil says the opposite. And we see him doing this right from Eden days. Where God said, it's, God comes and says, this is what's good. This is what I, how I want you to live. I will be your God. You're going to be my people. And the devil comes and says, don't you want to be like God? Is what God said really good? Here's a better way. Eat this fruit. Then you'll be just like God. So from that moment, man begins to say, I want to determine my own destiny. I want to go my own way. I want a king. We see this later on with Israel. And God says to them, please Israel. I'm your God. I will lead you. I will follow. You don't need a king. They say, no, we want to be like the nations. God says, no, Israel. This is what they're going to do to you. They're going to enslave your children. They're going to charge you taxes. They're going to make you run after other gods. They say, we want a king. We want to self-govern. We want to self-determine. And so God says, okay, here's a king. And everything that God says will happen, happens. And it comes true. So everything that God wants to unite, the devil wants to create division and wants to bring disunity. And we can see it again and again through the Old Testament where God, Moses is up the mountain. The, the Israelites have been in, in Exodus in Egypt. They've been in Egypt for four five hundred years in slavery. Finally, God breaks them free. Finally, he divides the Red Sea. They walk through this miracle after miracle. Now God's giving them his very words with which to live by. His very, he's going to govern them. He's going to be their God again. And while Moses is up the mountain receiving those words, they, the devil comes and says to them, You don't want Moses. You don't want God's words. You want Aaron. You want the golden calf. This is what really led you out of Egypt. And so they turn again to the counterfeit God. We look today and we see what God says is good in our modern world. And we see how the evil one comes to corrupt it. Look at church community. Look at how God says, I want to build you together. I want to join you together. I want you to gather every week. I want you to gather as a, as a testimony, as a billboard of what I can do through my power. And what does the devil come and say? He says, that's not really good for you. What you really need is to stay home with your remote. Now, I know you've got to do that this morning because of lockdown. But he comes and says, that's how you should always do it. Then you can just choose. You can live your Christian life in a private way. You don't need community. Community is bad. Community hurts you. Community excommunicates you. Don't go to community. That's not a good thing. And you can see this over and over again. You see it in the patterns of sexual promiscuity in our society where God says, I want to bless you. God's heart is not to stop us having fun. God's heart is that we are whole and that it's beautiful and that when we're married, it's this gift 
that we give to one another and it's the most wonderful thing. And the devil comes and says, that's not really fun. What's fun is to sleep with as many people as you can and then go to your mates and just celebrate with them and tell them how awesome you are because this is your conquests. And he breaks down and people only reap the consequences far later in their lives. Or maybe they, even when they die, they still think they're heroes because of everyone they've slept with. And yet the devil has lied to them. And he comes and says, these are the things that you really want. This is the way that you really should do it. And friends, this is no coincidence. It's a planned and an orchestrated a rebellion against God unifying all things to himself. Things on heaven and things in heaven and things on earth in Jesus Christ. And the devil comes and says, disunity, disunity, disunity. Let's break it down. Let's tear it down. Let's on and on and on. I could go. And that's the one application that I want to take. Alienation, separation. You are strangers. You've been cut off. Race divisions, all these divisions, divisions, divisions. It's the hand of the evil one behind it, directly working against the plan of God. Now, the, the second one, and this is the one I really want to press into our hearts this morning. Friends, until we realize, listen to me carefully here, until we realize how far off we were. Until we realize that we, just like these Ephesians, were truly dead. Until we realize that we were cut off from God. Until we realize that we were cut off from God's people. That we too were alienated. That we too were strangers. That there was a wall of hostility up between us and God and God's people. That if we crossed it, we deserved to be executed. Until we realize this to the depths of our being. Until we get how broken and disgusting and sinful we truly are until we get that we can't truly see the great privilege of being drawn near of being brought near to Christ we can't understand the beauty of what it looks like to be brought near and I'm trying to press home to us this morning how far from God the unbeliever is in his state how far from God we were, I need to press home to us the privilege of access to God. Confident access as Hebrews 4 so powerfully says. See, I think we, we kind of don't get this. We just think we're sort of a little bit bad. We just think we, we just need a little bit, of, little bit of medicine to help us that last little bit just to get close to God. We don't realize that God says, no, you're aliens. You're aliens. You're so far removed from me. There's no, there's no way we can be reconciled. You're complete strangers to me. You're dead in your trespasses and in your sins. I've been meditating on this this week as I've been preparing. I've been thinking so much about this. And friends, I want to do something which I know is quite a sort of dramatic way to do it and, and, and quite a long-winded way to do it but it just it's spoken to me so powerfully as I started right back in Ephesians chapter 1 and I went through these two chapters and what I wrote down I'm actually going to throw it up on a screen for you so that you can follow with me as I do this in God's, in God's word but I I looked at everything that it said about us being dead there's two kind of phrases that work together there. The one is that you are dead 
And the other one is that you are separated from Christ. And I looked at these verses, particularly in chapter 2. And I went through it and I looked at what it says. And and here's what it says in verse 1 of chapter 2. You were dead. Then it says you were following the world's course or the course of this world. Following the the prince or the power of the air. That's, That's Satan. Following Satan. It says the spirit that is now at work among the sons of disobedience. This is who you were. We were sons and daughters of disobedience. Among whom we all lived. Guys, we're not saying it's just you. It's us too. We also lived there. The Jews, this is Paul saying, the Jews were there. The Christians today, we were there. We sang it like this. We all lived there. Carrying out the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Whatever we want to do. Whatever greed we want. We do it. Whatever selfishness we, we have in us. Well, let's be selfish. Whatever sexual conquest we want. Well, let's conquest it. Let's, let, this is how... This is how we lived. The desires of the body, whatever your body or your mind desires, we go after it. Paul says you were children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. And if you go further down, you'll see that Paul speaks about works and how we're trying to reach God through our works so that we could boast through some kind of righteousness. And then when we get down to verse 11 where we've been looking at today... It speaks about us being alienated. It speaks about about us being separated from Christ. It speaks about us being strangers. It speaks about us having no promises. Strangers to the covenants of promise. It speaks about us having no hope. It speaks about us without God. And then it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you you were far off. And there was this dividing wall of hostility. And I wrote this all out on a page, and I'm hoping that you can see that even as you're watching the video this morning, this dividing wall of hostility, and it's this terrible page, this page of of death and separation from God. Friends, and then I went and I wrote, alive. And the phrase that goes along with that is, in Christ. So where death was separated from God, separated from Christ, now you are folded into Christ like an egg that's been cracked into a cake recipe. And it's so part of that, it's folded into the recipe and it's mixed in that you can no longer take the egg out of the cake recipe. You can't see you anymore because you're in Christ. You're alive in Christ. Friends, and I went back to chapter 1. And I began to go through chapter 1 right to the end of chapter 2. And I was overwhelmed. I literally sat at my desk and I began to weep at the goodness and the kindness of what God has done. And I want to finish this first part of Ephesians in Christ. I want to finish on this note of gratitude and thanks for the power of God that has not just reunited us to God, but is reuniting us to one another. And it's glorious. And he starts off in verse 2, grace to you Christians. He's writing to the Ephesians, peace from God. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. This is the greatest blessing in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And then he carries on. He chose us. You're chosen. That we should be holy. And blameless before Him. In love. He loved us guys. He he predestined 
us for adoption as sons. Then we see in verse 7, in Him we have redemption. We have forgiveness. We have the riches of His grace. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of His will. You don't have to just wander, wander around wondering what is it that God wants. You can know the mystery of His will for your life is that all things are unified in Christ. Is what you're doing part of the will of God? Unifying all things in heaven and on earth under, under God in Christ? Know His will. Then it speaks about this inheritance we have. Verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. Again, predestined. We, we are united. It speaks about the hope that we have. It speaks about the promised Holy Spirit that we have. It speaks again about being in Christ. It speaks about being sealed. Being sealed. The guarantee of our inheritance. Sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. And then in, in verse 15 where we spoke about Paul's prayer. We see some more things that are given us in Christ. We see that they, we receive the spirit of wisdom. This is what Paul is praying, that they would receive the spirit of wisdom. How many of you need wisdom in your business right now, in your personal finances right now, in your relationships right now, in your marriage right now? How many of us can, can cling to this and say, God, Paul is praying here that they would have a spirit of wisdom. Lord, please, I need a spirit of wisdom. And you pray for one another, for the spirit of wisdom. He speaks about having revelation in the knowledge of him at the end of verse 17 we can we don't have to live in the darkness we can have revelation we can understand in the knowledge of him these are gifts to us paul prays that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened this is what we have guys our eyes are our hearts are no longer dark he speaks about the calling that you have that you, you may know the hope to that which he has called you again he speaks about our hope he speaks about our calling why so that we can see the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe that's what we've been talking about for the last three weeks this incredible gift the greatness of the power we have as a gift christ as our head he says in verse 20 that he worked in christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places and he put all things under his feet verse 22 and gave him as head over all things to the church and even in that little phrase the church that's a god gift to you and i we go into chapter 2 where there's so much talk about death and our sin and our transgressions but then we see this most incredible there's so many phrases in here but god being Rich in mercy because of his great love for us. Are you getting this? He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Raised us up. I actually wrote raised us alive. Alive. We are wrote alive in Christ. I wrote alive together with Christ. Seated in heaven. Immeasurable Riches of grace. Verse 7. The immeasurable riches of grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Not by works but by 
faith. This is so beautiful. The gift of God. His workmanship. Even the fact that we can work for Christ is such a gift to us. And then we go into the second part that we've been focusing on this morning. And it speaks about how we have been brought near. But now you who in Christ Jesus, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's brought us near. He's given us peace. He's made us one. The hostility has been removed. The divisions have been removed. And then in verse 16, And He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, reconciled to God. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Guys, this is a crazy, crazy thought for these Jews. That the Gentiles would have the same spirit poured out on them. You can go and read in Acts. Go and read about when Peter goes to Cornelius' house. To this Gentile man's house. And the spirit of God pours out. And these Gentiles speak in tongues. Just like the Jews did back on the day of Pentecost. In the beginning of Acts. And you realize that Peter's eyes are open. And suddenly he realizes, oh my goodness. What the Spirit has poured out on us, the Spirit has poured out on the Gentiles and He ministers to them. But when He goes back to Jerusalem, He takes huge flack. How could you, how could you a Jew associate with and eat with? We heard that you ate with and stayed with the Gentiles. Peter! And Peter tells them in, in, in his defense, he uses as, as his defense, he says, Guys, the Spirit that fell on us fell on them. And suddenly it says, They realized what was going on and they marveled and they said, wow, then surely even the Gentiles have been welcomed into the people of God. You see, even these early believers were still clinging to this Jewish racism that we see prevalent all over this text in Ephesians chapter 2. And so when Paul reminds them here that they only have one spirit, that there's not a Gentile Holy Spirit and a Jewish Holy Spirit and that all of them have access to the same Father, it's a remarkable, controversial thing that Paul is saying. Guys, and then look at the redemption. Where they were aliens and alienated, now Paul says, citizens. Where they were strangers, Paul now says, saints. Where they were not part of God's people, Paul says, members of God's household. And then he begins to paint this picture of the glorious church, Christ's own body. Where members are joined together, built together into this dwelling place of God. The application into our lives is not just who we are by nature. Gentile, Jew, dead, all of us. Outside of God's people. But rather who we can become by grace. And we see in this text God's master plan in action. Where God is already beginning to hold up little trophies of grace. Little billboards of saying, I am unifying all things 
in heaven and on earth, all things in Christ Jesus are being united. And those of you who don't know Jesus, please, I plead, I plead with you this morning, come, come. If you don't know Jesus, if you feel excluded from the people of God, if you say, Paul, I feel alive, I beg you, see your death. See your brokenness in God. See that you are separated from God and come and throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and say, I need to be unified with you and with people around me. Please forgive me my sins. Please in faith, I believe that you are the son of God. I surrender my life. I want you to run my life. And if you do not know God, I beg you, see what he has done. See what you are. See what you truly are in your sin. And then let him open the eyes of your heart that you can see what you can become by grace. He doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us. He didn't leave me. He didn't leave any Christian who's watching this today. And he doesn't leave you there. He says, it's not that you what you were by nature. It's what you can become in Christ by grace. And you raised up in his kindness. And Ephesians, this, this thing that we have just done, this exercise we have just done. Guys, if you could print that page and have it and you can look at it and say, that's who I am. That's my identity. This is what God has done. It's not who I was. It's what Jesus has done. And that has, so then, as it says here in verse 19, so then, this is what we now have. Let me finish off with this very last thought, a tiny little application that Paul twice in this text says to these Jewish, to these Gentiles, remember. He says, therefore, remember that at one time. And then he says in verse 12, remember that you are at that time separated from God. Friends, I want to encourage us. I want to urge us. I want to command us, if I can be that strong, to take time to meditate on what we've been studying in Ephesians. Remember, as Paul says, remember what you were. Friends, some of us, we need to, myself included, I need to be reminded. I don't think I've ever truly understood the depth of my depravity before God. I don't think I've ever fully grasped the deadness that was in me. And I came to Christ at six years old, and maybe that's got something to do with it. Maybe there's some of you who say, Paul, I've lived such a life of sin that when I read this, I just immediately, it resonates with me. I think there's many more for whom it doesn't resonate, and we kind of feel okay. And I want to encourage us to remember, remember who we were, because when we see it for all its inglorious brokenness and death and decay and we can we can smell the smell of our own rotting selves in that place i think we truly begin to grasp the glory of what jesus has done and the glory of our salvation in christ friends i hope this first part of ephesians has encouraged you provoked you challenged you made you think made you realize that some stuff is, is, is rattling around in your head, but it hasn't done the, the great few journey, the great inches down, the journey down to your heart. It hasn't truly been believed. And I trust that God, by His Spirit, through the preaching of His Word, through the prayers that we are praying in the background, is working these things into your life. Father, as we close this morning, as we finish this section of Ephesians in Christ, Lord, would hope flood us for the calling that we have in you, the work 
that you have done in our hearts. Lord, would you work so deeply, so thoroughly in us that we would never be the same again. We bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. Love you guys and see you as soon as we possibly can once these lockdown levels change. Have a wonderful week. God's blessing to you.